exhibition due to a rear naked choke. Derek Brunson! Israel Adesanya, boy. I ain't walking on the top for nothing, boy. You next, boy! You next! What's up, guys? Welcome back. You're listening to episode 104 of the DLSS Podcast. I'm your host, D-Love. Starting a little bit behind the eight ball this week. Sorry about that. Starting off with an apology. Been extremely busy the last couple weeks. Uh, not complaining. It's all good things. Got some things popping off with the tonic. Some new packaging. Things I'm putting together. So, really excited about it. And I always appreciate you guys' support. Uh, but, yeah, we had that. Obviously, Labor Day weekend. Hope you guys had a fun Labor Day weekend. And it was my girlfriend Nora's birthday on the 7th. So, we celebrated that. And so, just a lot of things going on for me in the last couple of weeks. Do appreciate the continued support. I had a couple P1 listeners, a couple diehards hit me up going, what's up, man? What the fuck's the episode? So really warms my heart when I hear that and you guys are eager to uh, have the next episodes drop. So I appreciate that. But uh, even though there's no fights happening, no UFC fights happening this weekend, still always a lot of things to discuss in this uh, combat sports world. And of course, we're going to recap the results coming out of UFC fight night. Derek Brunson gets a big win over Darren Till. So we'll end up going through that and going over some of the highlight performances coming out of that card. Talk about the main event, of course. And then we got a, a sloppy trailer fight coming up this weekend. And uh, it was supposed to be Vitor Belfort versus Oscar De La Hoya in the main event. And De La Hoya ended up getting COVID. So last minute, like last minute, they switched to 58-year-old, almost 60-year-old Evander Holyfield and switched from California to Florida in order to get the fight sanctioned because Florida is notoriously a loose commission. And also, we have uh, on the same card, the co-main event, Anderson Silva is boxing Tito Ortiz. So I'll inevitably end up giving some of my thoughts on that. And then a couple things coming out of the fight night card we just talked about. Uh, Khalil Roundtree is getting a lot of criticism for the way that he ended up TKOing um, Modestus Bukowskis, which we'll get into, but a lot of people are, are talking about potentially banning this technique after the the way that that fight played out and that's completely ridiculous like spoiler alert on my opinion uh, but we're going to talk about that a little bit and also in the news if you guys didn't already know but there's been kind of a long-standing beef between uh brennan Schaub and not necessarily joe rogan but brennan Schaub, joe rogan and ariel hawani and i don't know about you guys and your opinion of ariel and i i've just been following him for a very long time and kind of understand why you know he can rub people the wrong way but for the most part, uh, I, I don't necessarily dislike him, and I don't think he has unethical business practices or journalistic practices. And, you know, this untethered, independent, you know, Hilwani, now that he's uh, not tied to any one particular large networking, can say and think, you know, say what he wants publicly and, and, and address issues that he may have at one point kept quiet. Like, I am not only all in for the entertainment value, but I'm loving it. He's you know, a wordsmith, he thinks quickly, he does this live format, and he's done it for so many years that, uh, you know, come at him, and good luck to you, especially in a live setting, because the guy's quick, he's witty, and he, he normally comes with the facts, and he's got an amazing memory, so it's just fun, uh, you know, to see him get heated like this and start calling things as he sees him, not only with this Brendan Schaub situation, which we'll get into a little bit, but just in general, so... Um, that's been going on. So all kinds of things to talk about. They came out and announced this week that they're officially targeting Dustin Poirier for the lightweight uh, unified title against Charles Oliveira. That's one other thing. Dan Hardy's done a couple interviews lately. You know, always been, I've been anticipating his comeback for a very long time. He's talked to a bunch of people, including Submission Radio this week, and even listed out a few names that he's interested in fighting. It's looking like it's actually getting close to potentially happening. You know, he's talking about contract negotiations. And uh, and the list of names, I'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But before I go any further, a quick reminder, this episode, number one, in fact, 
brought to you by Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy Group. If you guys need to take any cash out of the equity of your home, or if you need to get a loan in order to purchase a home, please do support the people that support the podcast and go to www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com. And if you let them know the DLSS podcast sent you, it would really help us out a lot. All right, but so Derek Brunson and Darren Till. Um, I'm going to start with Darren Till here. It's a, it's a tough loss for Darren. He's, he's won now one out of his last four. I'm sorry, one out of his last five, uh, which is that only win coming to Kelvin Gastelum in 2019, which was a close fight. It's a split decision win, so it wasn't like he had a dominating performance there. He actually had only 36 strikes landed in that fight. So, uh, you know, he's, he's unfortunately not having the success that a lot of people would have expected from him. You know, he did make the move up to 185, and he's faced nothing but killers. He started at the top you know, facing Kelvin and then getting that win and then going straight into Robert Whitaker and then taking a step back sort of to Derek Brunson. But Derek Brunson, which I'll get into in a second, um, you know, has really come into his own and has evolved uh, ever since losing to Israel Adesanya. So um, there's nothing I want to take away from Derek Brunson. It was an absolutely dominating performance. And he did exactly what he needed to do to win strategy-wise and execution-wise. But there was some information that came out um, after the fact about Darren Till apparently having a torn ACL, completely torn, and they were aware of it ahead of this fight. His coach even advised him to pull out. But Darren, you know, being aware that this entire card being kind of a, a an English invasion, a, bunch, a few scousers on this on this fight card, and Tom Aspinall as well. So the card was, you know, mainly kind of built around Darren, and there was a lot of fighters from the same region and team and stuff like that so you know he obviously wanted to push through but in a particular style matchup like this one where takedown defense and being able to get up off the bottom was going to be paramount to success you know it just really was uh setting him up for failure to be honest and i'm not again trying to take anything away from Derek brunson i'm gonna i'm gonna get into talking about him in just a second but uh just darren till i feel you know he's still young he you know i don't want to quite say he was sage north because you know he definitely achieved some of the success at the higher levels, but didn't quite evolve into or bloom into a well-rounded mixed martial artist. He's primarily a striker, came from the, the striking background, and, uh, you know, this fight, aside from the injury going into it, was a testament to the fact that he hasn't really been able to round out his game uh, to the point where he'd be able to contend at the elite level and to be able to actually contend for a title in this division or, or either division. And I don't think he's uh, ever going back down to 170. He was killing himself to make 170, and he's really settled into his body. I, don't, I mean, the knee injury may be more significant than even I'm giving it credit to now because I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Darren Till came into this matchup, came into this fight night, not necessarily in the best physical shape that I've seen him in in the past. So well, my whole point is I don't think he's going back down to 170. So as far as 185 or, or title aspirations are concerned, I think – you know, the UFC likes him. You know, he's an exciting fighter. He's good on the mic. So I think there's no risk of him potentially getting his walking papers. But one out of his last five, he needs to take a significant step back. And there's nothing wrong with that. You need to reassess. You need to obviously rehab that injury. Get back in the wrestling room, which he has been working on. Don't get me wrong. You know, you see in his training that he's been working on it. But it hasn't really, you know, shown itself in, in the actual octagon. So, Needs to take a step back, look for some potential matchups, you know, just right outside the top 10. He was ranked number eight. So maybe someone like uh, Brad Tavares, uh, Kevin Holland, Andre Muniz. Those are 
just outside the top 10 and, you know, try to kind of get back some on track, get some of that momentum back. And uh, again, I think he's still young enough in his career and in age that he could, you know, go back to the drawing board and eventually short some things up and come back and have a resurgence later in his career. He tweeted out a picture of Charles Oliveira and Michael Bisbing after the fact, you know, alluding to the fact that sometimes it's a long journey with some bumps in the road. So um, I'm excited to see if he can uh, come back from this and continue to push through even with this much adversity because I think the people that can get to the other side after learning from tough losses like this and tough stretches like this but, um, you know, work through it and become better for it are the type of people that eventually can make it to the top of the mountain. So big fan of Darren Till, you know, want the best for him. So um, I hope this isn't the end, and I hope to see him on the more positive side of things in the near future. But as far as as Derek Brunson is concerned, damn, talk about someone who's – not on a skid and is flying high on momentum this guy has now strung together five fights in a row since losing to the now champ israel adesanya back in 2018 since then he's got wins over elias theodoru ian hyish edmund shabazian kevin holland and now darren till and i'm not sure how much of that you can attribute to sanford mma which is where he's training now he switched it up training with henry hoof down there in florida and I just I, I don't know if it was at the Edmund Shabazian fight or just after it, but uh, now that he's got a couple full training camps under his belt with Sanford, it's very clear that they're making a lot of progress and really kind of rounding him out, tightening up some of his flaws. And uh, I feel like it's crazy because Henry Hoof, knowing known for being you know such a good striking mind amongst you know full MMA strategists, but he uh, has really sharpened up Derek Brunson's uh, striking. You know, but the thing is, is Derek Brunson even though he seems to have tightened up his game on the feet, has you know developed the, the mentality to not fall in love with the knockouts like some fighters do, which I think he might have done um, earlier on in his career. But since then, I think later this later stage in his career, he's really understood where his strengths lie the most, gone kind of back to his roots a little bit. And then not only is he sharpening up his skills, adding some new tools to the feet, which, you know, as we talked about before, for instance, I guess the best way to do a magic bullet explanation is like Khabib um, overhand writing and dropping Connor. Well, that only happened because of his threat of the wrestling. So Derek Brunson, in a way, is using his strikes to threaten the striking just enough to give them enough to worry about so that he's not shooting desperate takedowns, naked kicks, naked takedowns from outside. And, uh, you know, it just over, it just develops this game in a way where he, his opponent has more than one thing to worry about so that he opens up the other parts that his bread and butter, the, the, the wrestling, the, the going back to his roots, like I was saying. So um, although his striking has seemed to improve over the last few fights from Sanford MMA, his overall fight IQ and game planning is really what's been, uh, I feel like, the main cause of his most recent success. Along with, you know, I feel like he's even training harder. His cardio, he seems in phenomenal shape. He's not getting tired. He does have a few dicey spots here and there on the feet because, again, he's not, you know, a, a elite-level striker by any means. But at other times, he would, like, kind of brawl and get a little antsy and, like, kind of lose his composure in those spots. But as of late, you can see he's shooting for the takedown when he needs to to, to mix it up or to take the fight. Um, if he can, you know, and slow down the fight, maybe if he's getting hit a few times. Uh, but my point is, is just everything is coming together for this guy. Five fights in a row, 
He's really gained a lot of momentum over the last few fights, gained a lot of confidence. Um, as you heard in the intro, screaming into the camera after the win, letting Israel Adesanya know he's putting in all this work trying to get back to another title opportunity against him. So if he gets through Whitaker uh, in their upcoming bout and he's still the middleweight champ, then kind of uh, Izzo facto Br- Brunson was, had a good point. Like, look, man, if you were trying to have a fight with Darren Till and I took him out and you think I'm, you know, bumps in and I haven't changed and I'm the same and the fight's going to go the exact same as before, then, you know, you have no reason to not take the fight if you get through Whitaker. So Derek Brunson had some injuries, uh, as they all do. Um, and so he's managed by uh, Ali Abdelaziz. So in an interview, uh, Ali was explaining some of the injuries that Derek was dealing with before the fight and since and that he's been meaning to take care of so he's put himself in a position to wait let israel and whitaker fight while Derek gets himself healthy gets himself in a position to have a full championship training camp he's 37 years old himself so he recognized that this is kind of his last potential title run and he's done everything right to get himself to this spot so i'm really happy for the guy you know he doesn't do a lot of stuff you know some memes but he doesn't really do a whole lot outside of his actual in-cage performances to really market himself all that much but you know kevin holland chirping at him and things like that apparently not apparently but sometimes what will happen is is Derek can kind of raise his profile in the social media game by his opponents talking shit for instance with darren and with kevin beforehand they're both kind of social media darlings in a sense so Derek brunson was able to put out some of his own memes he's been leaning into the bumps and thing he's been leaning into the Cisco jokes about him being blonde-haired Brunson. Blonde-haired Brunson is undefeated. So, you know, he's done a few things as of late to kind of change that. And so, again, all of the different aspects are seeming to come together uh, for him. And so, not to say that he's got the skills to go out there and take out Israel Asanya, who I think has continued to progress over the course of his career. And in terms of his uh, takedown defense, his jiu-jitsu, and just overall game in general. So, I'm not saying that Brunson's a shoo-in for the championship, but I do feel like he's done everything that he, you know, should be expected to do to put himself in a position, and, and all most people, you know, don't seem to argue with that. So congratulations to him on a dominant performance taking out Darren Till, and uh, we'll, we'll see who comes out the victor between Whitaker and Adesanya. Um, that one also you can't say is going to go exactly like their first fight. So lots to look forward to in the middleweight division. And uh, we'll see what happens. And then the co-main, Tom Aspinall, gets a big win over Sergey Spivak. And I talked about in the last episode, a lot of people, myself included, even with his limited experience so far, uh, a lot of people think this guy's the future, uh, potentially, of the heavyweight division. He moves like a middleweight. He hits like a Mack truck. And he's coming into the UFC on a four-fight winning streak, all finishes, um, all but one in the first round. And one of which he's got a submission win over Andre Arlovsky. It was after he hurt him on the feet. But he, he beat Jake Collier, Alan Badeau, Andre Arlovsky, and now Sergei Spivak. So, um, you know, he's one of those fighters. I don't want to see him get rushed, even though I do see him having a very high ceiling. But because of that lack of experience, it's really um, refreshing to see that he's extremely self-aware of where he's at in his career. Talked about in post-fight interviews and just in general that he doesn't want to rush things. Uh, he's new to the game, and I don't think that that's a weakness to say that he doesn't think he's quite ready. And I think it's smart of him to take it one step at a time. So, Tom Aspinall, man, you guys keep an eye out for this guy. So far, every time he fights, at a 100% finishing rate. So, 
All action, lots of fun. Excited to see who they put them up against next. And keeping the momentum going for the English fighters, like I said, it was kind of a uh, English uh, invasion. Obviously, Tom Aspinall's not a scouser, but we had uh, Patty Pimblett making his UFC debut. Uh, he was the former Cage Warriors champion, uh, you know, kind of a local star there in Liverpool in England. Uh, so aside from Darren Till in the main event, a lot of the scouts and English fighters had a lot of success. Patty Pimblin had a kind of rough start. He took 25 clean-ass shots, it shows here in the stats, from Luigi Vendramini, and was taken down once but got back up. And I think he heard the ten, the 30 seconds left or something like that because he went absolutely apeshit uh, when the round was winding down in round one. Made it extremely exciting, don't get me wrong. It was a quick turn of the tide. Uh, landed a few hard shots on Vendramini, started getting them backed up, and just had a killer instinct and went for it and uh, had the highlight of the fight card, I feel like, and definitely made a splash in his UFC debut. And, you know, I, I, like a lot of people, were critical of his former career and, and some of the tape study and the, the liabilities that he, he was uh, showing over the course of his career, some of which did uh, rear their head in this fight, which is a testament why he got clipped so many times. His defense isn't always there. His chin's up in the air a little bit too much. The unorthodox nature of his style is, you know, both a gift and a curse it's to a double-edged sword there. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes not as successful. It's a little bit uh, sporadic and uh, disorganized and leaves himself open in certain spots. But overall, man, he's a tough motherfucker. As he said in his post-fight, scousers don't get knocked out. So, you know, he ended up turning it up late, had a highlight real finish, and lived up to his uh, reputation and made a, a pretty successful UFC debut for himself. So we'll see when they put him up against someone that can crack because he is at 155, one of the the if not the toughest weight class in the division so we'll see where he goes next and we'll see what his ceiling is but congratulations on patty on an excellent debut another english fighter and his teammate molly mccann ends up securing fight of the night against ji young kim they had by far the most strikes uh, thrown and landed throughout the entire course of the night and she was very stoked there's a video of her finding out that she received fight of the night honors and uh you know she 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 was a tough motherfucker her nickname is meatball and she just kept coming forward. She took a lot of shots, 122 to be exact. But she landed 127 and was the aggressor and, you know, just would not be denied in this night. It was uh, pretty impressive to see her push through and uh, really just she wanted to set the tone for the uh, Scousers on the card. And she killed it, man. So congrats to Molly McCann. And then another English fighter, not a Scouser, but Jack Shore. A lot of hype on this guy. One of those. Huge, huge favorites going in. A lot, not a lot of info on him on my side. Always one of those uh, recipes for being disappointed and having someone shit my apple pie in terms of betting. When you don't know much about him, they're the huge, biggest favorite on the card. There's a lot of people saying that he's going to go in there and walk over his opponent. That's when a lot of times the MMA gods will kick you in the ass and the unknown, you know, huge underdog comes in and just throws everybody for a loop. But that's not what happened here. And the actual big favorite came through. And ended up destroying his opponent. Look at the strike stats. 92 landed to 19 only by Ludwig Shalinan. And two takedowns by Jack Shore. One submission attempt. He ended up getting a unanimous decision victory. Dominating performance. And then turns out he actually had a severe uh, injury to his shoulder leading up to the fight. So he really couldn't throw his uh, right hand, his cross very much. So he had to really stick with the jab and a couple of and some kicks. And, you know, it just, you know... For how dominant he was in this performance to find out that he wasn't even close to 100%, it 
you know, really makes me excited to see where uh, he goes from here and who they put him up against next. But again, very early on, UFC debut. So congratulations to Jack Shore. And I'm really actually intrigued to see his next fight. So uh, we'll see where it goes. And then Julia Narosa got a big win over Charles Jordan. Narosa uh, came in as the underdog. This is a crazy fight uh, until it ended. 103 strikes landed by Arosa to Jordan's 85. Two takedowns uh, by Arosa, and then he ended up actually securing a Darce choke. Two minutes, 56 seconds of the third round. So congratulations to Julian Arosa on a very good victory over a tough opponent, Charles Jordan. And then um, Andre Barriut got a win over Dolce Langombula in the opening fight of the night. Uh, Alex Morono got a good win over... David Zawada, and then Khalil Roundtree ends up getting a TKO finish, two minutes, 30 seconds of the second round to uh, over Modestus Bukowskis. Now, this one I want to talk about a little bit more before we move on from this card. And basically, guys, what happened was is they call it an oblique kick, but an oblique is like next to your hip and by your abs, but that's originally where it was targeted for, which is why I guess they call it an oblique kick, but it's kind of a stomping uh, heel kick or a jumping side kick. There's so many different variations of this. And a lot of people are arguing for banning of this technique after this finish because of the fact that it very uh, overtly hyperextended Bukowskis' knee. Apparently there's uh, severe ligament damage. And a lot of people are upset about the fact that this technique could potentially take out their opponent for several months to a year or even be a career-ending injury. But they're completely neglecting the, the reality and the fact that CTE, TBI, concussions, brain injuries, eye injuries. There's other things that are just as significant, if not more devastating, over the person's long lifespan, even you know after they're done fighting, than you know a joint being torn up. And inverted heel hooks. We saw Roosevelt Roberts get his knee torn up recently with an inverted heel hook, and no one's talking about banning that technique. And then we had, uh, I can't remember her name, but, oh yeah, it was Ariana Lipsky, who's actually competing on Next weekend's card, the fight night with uh, Anthony Smith taking on Ryan Spann. But Ariana Lipsky, she is uh, one of the up-and-coming women, I believe, uh, featherweights, or I'm sorry, flyweights. Was She did a, a knee bar while sitting on her opponent, completely inverting the chick's leg. Like, you know, the leg doesn't bend that way. It was completely bent backwards. And what I'm trying to get at is there's other techniques that people aren't calling for to be banned that do just as much, if not more, damage to the knee. And I think it's just the optics, and it looks like, you know, to me, the crux of the argument is the targeting in terms of like if you think it's a, you know, a fucked up technique or not to throw. But, you know, again, a throwing a full speed head kick to someone's dome and temple, no one looks at that as overtly, you know, like cruel. But uh, concussion and uh, brain damage is actually way more severe than a torn up knee. And in general, like I'm actually one of those people that advocate for the one rule set or old school pride rules where you can knee. The head of a grounded opponent, foot stomps, soccer kicks, whatever you want, because they're harder to land those techniques than people think. Like Mighty Mouse, you saw a big highlight of him getting knocked out by a knee that was technically like as he was grounded or getting up, but it was such a big highlight, A, because it was Mighty Mouse, but B, because it doesn't nearly happen as often as people might think. That's another discussion, another you know topic for another time, but just in general, I think that people are overreacting to this. You know, it's almost akin to the 12 to 6 elbow banning rule. And there are some serious considerations in the, um, I don't know if it was the UFC or if it was the Athletic Commission, but I saw some headline or report about 
people like looking into this particular technique and think, you know, considering whether or not it should be banned or not. So I'm 100% an advocate of not being banned. I think, you know, we're trying to uh, put as many pillows or as many soft edges on a combat sport where people are literally locked in a cage and their goal is to try to injure or hurt each other. And, you know, the intent is really not relevant in terms of the outcome. And so, you know, each fighter is going to go in there. Khalil Roundtree was in a situation where he really needed to get a win. He's been training uh, in Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand and really, really upping his game in terms of his striking acumen over the last few years. And one thing that any good striker is going to tell you is to be able to pay attention to your opponent's lead leg and their rhythm and the amount of weight they put on in what situations and be able to time them stepping on that leg for low kicks or for calf kicks or, you know, depending on the school, depending on their different uh, morals or ethics surrounding it. But, like, he ultimately, Khalil Roundtree didn't even target the knee. His heel and his bottom of his foot landed on the thigh. He timed the step by Bukowskis. He he baited him to take another step in and immediately timed is a is basically like a front kick or a stomp kick or an oblique kick or whatever you want to call it, and he targeted the thigh even not the the knee. And if Bukowskis didn't have so much weight on his front leg, and wasn't you know in a position where his foot was turned in and not able to defend it, then it wouldn't have been nearly as effective or damaged his leg. So the responsibility is on the fighter when they're being you know when they're having strikes thrown at them. Effective techniques in a fight where they're trying to execute effective techniques. The fighter's responsibility is to defend that technique or try to, and if he's you know damaged in the process, then that's just effective striking, and that's the that's the name of it. That's the name of the game. And even Bukowskis put out a tweet saying, "Dude, everyone, stop giving my opponent so much of a hard time. It's my responsibility to defend the technique. I'm gonna be fine. You know, it is what it is. We're out there to hurt each other." He's basically just saying, "Give Khalil Roundtree a break," and I'm completely of the same opinion. And anybody that wants to talk to me a little bit further or in depth about this or wants to argue for the fact that this should be a technique that's banned, first of all, go ahead and take your tampon out if you're a dude. Uh, but call me, DM me, send me your information, send me your opinion. I'd love to discuss it with you. But that's all I got for our UFC Fight Night, Brunson versus Till. So now we're going to move on and switch over to some really elite level striking. No, not bare knuckle FC, but some triller boxing. Yes, you heard me right. We got a Vander Holyfield, almost 60 years old, 58 years old, uh, versus Vitor Belfort in the main event. And this isn't just any Vitor Belfort. This is easily throwback to 2013 Mohawk Vitor Belfort. And, um, yeah, like, I don't care if Vander Holyfield has leaps and bounds more boxing experience and at, uh, the elite level boxing experience. It's going to be very difficult for someone with a damn near 20 year age disadvantage and he's got you know creaking joints you can see he's stiff he doesn't seem like he's got a lot of power or fluidity to him in in the training footage that they've put out and this is just a full-on dumpster fire and i hate to say that yes i'll definitely be tuning in i'll definitely be watching in fact i'm even going to give my pick for it and the pick for the co-main event but uh this is just this is a damn is almost shameful and it's funny because ironically i'm one of those guys that really loves that scene i believe it was in uh, rocky five or something i don't remember which one it was but when uh rocky's in the courtroom basically like arguing for his ability to be able to get a license to go and compete even at his um, advanced age and generally for the most part you know if anyone can make money for themselves or their family um you know doing combat sports or boxing or something like that 
and they're willing to do it, then I think that they should be able to. But there's these other things in place that should shield for anything you know tragic to happen, and that each commission has a doctor and a medical protocol to be able to clear to have the fight be made. Not only medicals, but just they'll assess the the levels of skill, they'll assess the records, and you know over the last few years, this has definitely gotten thrown out the window with all this quote unquote celebrity or YouTube boxing. Or, you know, even Connor versus Floyd, for that matter, with a 0-0 zero and zero record versus someone that was 49-0. and 0. Like, you know, if you're just assessing their records and their level of experience, it's kind of almost damn near irresponsible to sanction that fight. But that's nowhere near however irresponsible it is to be sanctioning this fight with Evander Holyfield in the condition he's in. And this original Triller card, when it was supposed to be Oscar De La Hoya versus Vitor Belfort in the main event, was scheduled to take place at the Staples Center in uh, California. And even surprisingly, with California being one of the more stricter, if not the strictest commission, maybe behind New York in terms of medicals, but they cleared uh, you know, Oscar De La Hoya to fight Vitor Belfort with the discrepancy in uh, skill and or, I mean, experience and, you know, with age discrepancy and weight disparity. There was, there was disparity. There was all kinds of red flags there, but even California was willing to sanction that bout but randomly, random is, is I, I'm just using that word facetiously, uh, the fight guard gets moved to Florida when Oscar has to pull out and Evander Holyfield is, is slotted in there. And that's most likely, rumor is, because Florida's a much looser commission, as I mentioned in the intro uh, at the beginning of the show, and that Evander Holyfield, you know, would not have gotten cleared anywhere else. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want to call the guy punch drunk, but he is struggling to to. to complete sentences in a coherent way it's difficult to understand him he looks really stiff and like uh creaky like i said in the footage so he just it doesn't look like it's it's gonna go well for him even though you know he has so much more elite level boxing experience he's one of the legends of the sport and a former world champion so you know on paper aside from the the age and the condition of holyfield he should just walk through someone like vito with very little boxing experience but my take is is that the youth and aggression, you know, Mexican supplements, whatever you want to call it, that Vitor is going to corral him into the corner and he's going to just try to rough him up and make it ugly and that a 60-year-old man's not going to be able to last. So uh, my pick in this one is Vitor Belfort. And I think it's uh, – I, I actually don't have it here in front of me, so let me actually pull up the number of rounds. Let me see here. Okay, well, at least it's shorter rounds, I guess. I don't know. It's uh, eight two-minute rounds. It is considered an actual professional boxing match, not an exhibition. And I guess it's completely random, but I don't know, man. I just I get the feeling unless Vitor takes his foot off the gas and doesn't, you know, has shows a lot of respect for Holyfield and doesn't put him away, like, on purpose, I think he's going to get him out of there inside the distance. And I'm going to just randomly say seventh round uh, finished by Vitor Belfort. But the fun doesn't stop there, and the co-main event, Tito Ortiz is coming out of retirement to fight to box Anderson Silva. And this one is also a legit boxing match, not an exhibition. And I believe it's also eight rounds. And, man, if you guys recall, recently Anderson Silva got a victory over Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And it was apparent that Anderson obviously took it very serious. He's always had a love for boxing. A couple of previous professional boxing matches earlier on in his career. And, he went out there and looked great, and, he, you know, it was kind of some quintessential classic Anderson Silva stuff going on, even though, you know, we're used to seeing that in an MMA uh, atmosphere. But he went out there and ended up just, 
you know, pretty much dominating a former elite level boxer in Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. So it's one of those things where like kind of similarly to the momentum assessment that I gave for Darren Till versus Brunson, although a very, very, very loose analogy in terms of skills and, and the matchup. But uh, momentum sometimes can be a very big indicator of a potential outcome. And this was just, you know, kind of a, a loose assessment. But also I feel like Tito Ortiz with the massive amount of time off and Anderson Silva being active and being active in the sport of boxing recently, having some success, coming off the momentum of that success and uh, a recipe that seems to be working for him mixed with the fact that he's making Tito Ortiz come all the way down to 195 pounds, which is going to obviously deplete uh, Tito over the long haul of the fight. But I kind of look at it like similarly to the belt four versus um, Evander Holyfield situation in terms of like matchup where Tito's going to have to kind of bully him, make him make it somewhat ugly, try to corral him into the corner and t- touch him up on the inside and, and uh, again, make it kind of dirty. But I just, you know, see um, Silva's used to that style of, of fight in terms of people always trying to cut him off, trying to corral him. And that's what he wants. Sometimes he stands in the corner and says, come on, hit me, motherfucker, like waiting to counter. So he's always been an elite level striker, uh, much better than Tito Ortiz, even in the MMA setting. And so I don't think it's going to be any different. And, you know, when it's just strictly striking, strictly boxing. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Jason Perillo, and I would think that, you know, with his boxing uh, skills as a boxing coach and just his boxing knowledge that he would be able to take someone like Tito Ortiz and really um, at least up the level of ability uh, in a training camp that was strictly designed around boxing. So, you know, you never want to count him out, uh, Tito, you know, being trained by Perillo in this case. But, you know, I'm a, I am follow Perillo on social media and I'm talking to him a, a fair amount here and there. And so, like, I see his interactions. So unless they kept their training sessions like secret from everybody, including like Perillo not being able to like uh, engage his stories on his Instagram because he's always just doing random stories throughout his day, then, you know, unless they did that and they made sure to like sequester any footage of Tito training, I did not see very much of Tito and Ruka and Tito on the bags. I saw like maybe three or four days out of this entire camp. Like I forgot that they were even on the same fight card as the, um, what was the Holyfield. Uh, I'm sorry, what was the De La Holy versus Belfort, but now Holyfield versus Belfort card. But I forgot those on the same card because I wasn't seeing like training footage. I wasn't seeing stuff that would normally remind me that they, that they had a fight coming up. So um, all that being said, like I think Tito, you know, is a tough guy. He's going to come forward and, you know, try to go for it probably early. And if it doesn't work out in his favor, then um, he might kind of uh, wilt late. So uh, Anderson Silva, I feel like, has definitely got the advantage in all areas. And I, I tend to think that unless Tito is able to rough him up or, and make it, like, really ugly and kind of tie up for a good portion of the fight, that Anderson Silva is going to put him away inside the distance. So, fuck it, I'll just go seventh round TKO in this round, in this fight too. You know, lucky number seven for both fights. But that does it for Triller, guys. I mean, like I said, I'll definitely be watching it because I'm a degenerate, but I wouldn't recommend spending your money on it. But, you you know. Do what you wish. Now, as far as the whole Brendan Schaub, Ariel Hawani, like, beef situation, it's actually been ongoing for a long time. And if you don't know about it, I'm not going to rehash, like, the entire thing, the origins and everything like that. But uh, in a nutshell, like, over the course of 
Brendan Schaub's like after fighting career and his entertainment career, whether it be from like answering questions from fan submissions on one of his podcasts or if it's just come up in conversation, you know, at some point or another. Brendan Schaub has brought up Ariel Hawani's name like several times in a negative light. And Ariel Hawani claims that a lot of the things, if not all of them, are 100 percent lies. And, you know, with Ariel Hawani no longer being tied to a specific network and being, you know, uh, unfiltered or independent Hawani. He's calling out anybody and everybody he's maybe had beef with or things he took issue with but just kind of kept himself quiet and, and tried to be the bigger person or try to just do what was right for his career. But now that he's out on his own, he doesn't give a fuck, and I'm all here. I'm for it, dude. It's so fun. I'm, I'm eating it up. It's pure entertainment, and he's um, got a lot of ammunition on a lot of people, and again, he's quick-witted. He, he, has a, he normally comes with facts, and I don't think – uh, you know, a lot of the things that he's talking about the, with the Brennan Shop situation in particular have to do with the ties uh, to Joe Rogan and his ties to Dana White and that being their source of their information. Not saying that they're, you know, bad guys or they're being unfair, but they're just the, their information is you got to consider the source. And Dana White is obviously going to have a certain way of uh, perceiving the things that happened over the course of time. And he's going to obviously share his side of things with his boys like Joe Rogan and who's obviously passing that information along to Brendan Schaub. So it's just one of those things where now Ariel can do whatever he pleases, call whoever he wants, whether it's Dana White for making his life difficult when he worked at ESPN, whether it's Ali Abdelaziz for not letting him talk to any of his clients or whether it's Brendan Schaub or anybody else for that matter, who he feels like has said publicly things about him that are negative and not true. So, he, had it, he took issue with it. Something went down on Reddit, which then prompted Brendan Schaub to actually send Ariel Hawani. Uh, it seemed like a sincere text apologizing. And then Ariel Hawani was like, all right, cool, appreciate it. But if you said these remarks publicly about me that are untrue, you should probably apologize or clear things up uh, publicly instead of just privately with me, which Brendan apparently claimed that he would do. But he put out a video, and it was pretty weak as far as apologies are concerned. Like, it was, you know, Brendan Schaub is just trolling at this point. Like, any attention or any drama that's caused from this is only going to bring attention to him and anybody that like appreciates his side of things or his humor is only going to laugh at the trolling or at um, you know if he's getting under Ariel's skin or pissing him off and anybody who's a fan of Ariel I mean obviously there's some people in the center of the Venn diagram but anybody who's you know a fan of Ariel is going to you know eat up like I am what he's doing in terms of being called like calling people out like he cussed for the first time on his show like Ariel never Cust is like on the air so he was obviously really pissed off so i don't know it's just to me i just find it pure entertainment and you know on the mma hour if you want to check out some of those clips online you'll probably see some of which what i'm talking about and uh you know brendan shop's page he's got below the belt he's got uh, a bunch of different pages so you can look his stuff up too but if you want to kind of catch yourself up to that drama feel free but it's just i'm just interested to see who the next person on the chopping block is or what else ariel's gonna tell people that he was holding close to the vest before and, and now doesn't need to. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's never a dull moment in MMA. But transition to the last topic I want to talk about before I let you guys go this week. Uh, Dan Hardy has been making his long-awaited comeback, or long-awaited for me. I'm a big fan of the outlaw. I've been looking forward to him coming back to action, whether it's MMA or kickboxing. Um, obviously, when he split with the UFC recently, and he's been um, working for BT Sport and doing all of his own stuff on his full reptile channel and everything like that, he's... Achieved a lot of success in the like journalism and news reporting media side of things. Again, like I just mentioned with Full, T- Full Reptile Radio, uh, on Full Reptile, the YouTube page. He's got the Outlaw Picks podcast. He's got a bunch of stuff going on. So 
Um, all that being said, he's been vocal about wanting to come back to action over the last couple of years, just looking for the right opponent and the right opportunity. And um, so, you know, a lot of times when recently on shows or just speculating on who I would want him to, to match up against in his comeback, you know, a lot of the times, of course, I'm, I'm thinking of and choosing MMA fighters because Dan Hardy was an MMA fighter that I was a big fan of. But obviously he came, he has a kickboxing and Muay Thai background before he transitioned to MMA. And this later stage of the career after, you know, quote unquote prime or best days are behind him. He's uh, been entertaining some other options other than just MMA in terms of, uh, of a comeback. And I'm going to give you guys the list of names of people he's been thinking about fighting. And uh, these are the ones, after all the speculation and all the people talking about, you know, I was championing a Nick Diaz fight or even like a Carlos Condit fight or something like that, you know. But now that he's no longer with the UFC and entertaining other types of fights other than just MMA fights, he was on Submission Radio and he told uh, the guys there that uh, Diego Sanchez actually DM'd him and like called him out personally and told the guys at Bare Knuckle Boxing that he wanted to fight Dan Hardy. And Bare Knuckle Boxing, separately from that, reached out to Dan Hardy and said, hey, apparently Diego Sanchez wants to fight you. So he's like, I kind of feel sorry for him, but, you know, he's calling me out. And, you know, he he, he did it in a way that he didn't feel like was respectful. So he's like, I'll, I'll slice some skin off that fool's face for some money. Like, he said he's down to do it, but that's not his number one priority. What he wants to do is come back and have a Muay Thai fight with four-ounce gloves in a cage, which is my absolute favorite style of fighting. And he wants to do it against John Wayne Parr at, in one championship. And then uh, and one, and him and John Wayne have gone back online, and it's mutual and respectful, but they you know, have both voiced their interest in, in doing that, so... That's a very likely fight to potentially be his. I think that's his number one priority or his number one choice or option in terms of his comeback fight for the first fight. And then he said he wants to fight uh, Nikki Holtzkin in a kickboxing match. So, And then he also voiced his uh, interest in fighting Tyron Woodley because he said he, he was a dis, it was a disgraceful showing uh, against Jake Paul and that, you know, he and him never really got along that well. So anyway, so that that's four different names all of which you probably all are aware of. That would be very interesting uh, matchups for Dan Hardy. I'd love to see the outlaw get back in there. Um, so let me got, let me know what you guys think. Hit me up on Instagram, d.love underscore 84, or Twitter, dlove underscore 84, and let me know who you want to see Dan Hardy face in his comeback. But that's all I got for today, guys. Keep it locked in and stay tuned because we're going to be dropping a This Segment Rules episode in the next couple days. Episode, uh, this Segment Rules number seven, I believe. Uh, talking about the differences in the dif- uh, the different um, agencies regarding uh, drug testing and PED use in combat sports. And then also we have some fun fight night cards coming up. In the next week we got Anthony Smith taking on Ryan Spann. And then we have UFC 266 coming up in the next few weeks, We got which is the return of Nick Diaz. A bunch of other fun fights on that card. We have UFC 267 coming from uh, Fight Island. UFC 268 from Madison Square Garden, the most stacked card of the year. So there's a shit ton of really fun fights coming in the next few weeks and months. So keep it locked in for all the fresh content coming your way. But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D-Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way you're on top of all the most current content. If you're already supporting a small independent podcast, 
please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got Dream Loud Collections, my girl Nora, custom handmade jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals, Paint Bay, the journey of a modern day painter, Upper Glass Tent, Eden Buttery Pancakes is getting people shredded, Vargas Auto Spa, California Shirt Smith. Check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System, Mac Noodle Sabachi Chef, Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care, Socks Meals, Angie Snyder, and of course, he loves Tumor Tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check him out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the five freeway. First class is always free. Tell him the DLSS podcast sent you. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week, same time and same place. Enjoy the fights.